flour. It is so widely available we can buy it without thinking where it comes from or how it is processed. Today, we do a deep dive into grain, and in particular spring and winter wheat, oats, rye, and barley. I would recommend listening to episode 4 with Gristen Toll before listening to this podcast, as you will get the full view of grain from harvest all the way to bread making. As a note, throughout this episode, the words kernel, wheat berry, and seed are used, just note they are all the same thing. Hi, my name is Dan from Return to Soil, and today, I'm here with Jim from Cedar Isle Farms from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Oh, it's a great pleasure, and really appreciate your interest. Uh, so how did you first get started in the farming business? My parents uh, moved to British Columbia, Canada back in 1972, uh, from Minnesota, actually, and uh, they, <laughs> they, were, they were anxious to uh, leave the corporate world and the uh, the politics of, of Vietnam and and uh, uh, all, all that that in, entails, and uh, just uh, sold off their place in Minnesota and headed off for, for Canada and ended up here in Agassiz, which is about 130 kilometers straight east of Vancouver, which is right on the coast. So we're in a bit of a triangle between Vancouver and I guess if you went straight south, you could get Seattle in about three hours. So it's in the Fraser Valley, uh, which is the river that empties at, at Vancouver. And it's the most spectacular agricultural land you can imagine, surrounded by mountains, beautiful view. And my parents farmed here, <laughs> fixing up a dilapidated dairy farm. That's the only way they could afford at the time, but they did very well in their choice. And we've been fixing it up ever ever since, really. They went into beef and sheep, spinners and weavers, and made baskets as well. And eventually, the rest of the kids all left. And I went off to uh, university for a number of years and, and then went into uh, political research and came back about oh, 20 years ago or so. And we switched from the beef farming and sheep farming to, to grain eventually, just because we uh, thought it was, it was a better fit. And we've been delighted ever since, staying, staying in the grain business. It's challenging because the climate is tricky. You know, it's, the Seattle and Vancouver climate is, is very rainy, right. and grain likes dry, dry land. So it's definitely a challenge, but it is also very exciting. Does a Fraser Valley have a microclimate or is the climate kind of representative of the Pacific Northwest? It's very, well, it's, it's all similar to the, the western side of the Cascades. It's wet. And I wouldn't say that uh, Fraser Valley is much different from, from Vancouver or Seattle. It, but we, we do get a little hotter, I think, than, than Vancouver in the summertime and probably a bit wetter as well in, in the winter and definitely colder in the winter. So it's a slightly shorter season. But we make up for it with the, with the quality of the of the agricultural land. It's just spectacular. I think most of us are familiar with flour in the store, uh, like there might be Rogers or King Arthur. Um, but most of us probably don't know what it looks like before flour. Would you mind stepping us through the process of like, let's just say that you were growing a grain from scratch. Like, what is that life cycle and like what happens? Oh, it's, it's quite in, intriguing. I'll take the simplest one, which it would be a spring wheat, which is something you'd plant in April, say. Our land is, is forage land, so it's covered in grass with uh, white clover and alfalfa, and most of that's used for, 
for forage for dairy cows. We farm together with two dairy farms, and we rotate the the grain crop down the length of the of the field, mostly to to provide um, a good nutrient status for the grain because it takes a lot, and also to help control weeds. So we would we would plow up the uh, grassland in the in the spring, in in March, and then we'd um, prepare the land with a with a disc and a, and a harrow, and uh, get it nice and nice and smooth, and then. Uh, drill the seed, so it's a, a machine that makes little furrows in the soil as you as you drag it along. And about uh, each furrow would be about um, I don't know, six inches apart, probably. And then it trickles seeds down into the furrow and then covers them up as it as it goes over it. And the the things pulled behind a tractor about oh maybe ten twelve feet wide sort of um, size. And that's so that's enough to seed seed the field. And then we just watch it grow after that, um, ha- having prepared it with uh, with dairy manure beforehand, of course, to provide the, the nutrients. And then we harvest. Um, here it tends to be for spring spring wheat crop. It would be late August, mid to late August. And we have some old um, combine harvesters. I'm going to jump in again. But just to help visualize, a combine harvester is a vehicle with a long attachment in the front, which makes it look like a really long lawnmower. I'm sure you've seen it in the movies or in TV. Uh, one date from 1958 and another one was given to us across the river from 1965, both of which, through community expertise and involvement, we've, we've managed to, to uh, renovate and keep running. And it, what it does is it cuts the, cuts the grain at the, um, at the ground level, and then the, the stalks and the heads of, of wheat get fed into it and it and the machine strips off the the wheat from the uh, the remaining uh, plant material which is called straw then and then it uh, sieves it and blows air blows air across it and the grains fall down through uh, screens various uh, levels of screens and, and get uh, augered up into a into a bin and that's that's how it gets collected on the machine and then we empty that into uh, tote bags and, and bring it back uh, to the uh, to the processing uh, part of the farm. Now, when it comes uh, out of the combine, it has little bits of straw in it, you know, some pieces of the stalk that hasn't been completely uh, blow, uh, blown out, little bits of hulls from the uh, from the grain. And, of course, because we're an organic, or a certified organic farm, we also have weeds, and we'll get weed seeds in there as well. And if it's if it's a good year, it's not much of a problem. If it's a if it's a really weedy year, maybe it's been extra wet in the springtime, we'll get lots of weed seeds in it, and we have to sieve those out before it sits overnight, so that the moisture doesn't get transferred to the grain, and the, <laughs> so that limits how much we can combine in a day. Right. Uh, but we do that all here here at the farm, and we have old um, grain cleaners. They're called the one most basic one we have is a fanning mill. It's called. And it has a series of, of moving screens that just shake back and forth. At the same time, it blows air through it. So the top screen will sieve off the heads that haven't been threshed, perhaps, um, and big stalks of, of um, straw. And then that material falls through those uh, wide screens onto a uh, thin screen. And the, and the narrow screens then sieve out, keep the, the good grain on top, and the small uh, weed seeds and other chaff uh, you know, fall down uh, below that, and then that gets falls through a, a, a channel of air, and blows out all of the light seeds, maybe the ones that haven't filled properly, and then and then the remainder comes out comes out the bottom, and we put that into a, another uh, tote bag for for the processing. So is that considered a wheat berry? 
the the grain. Is that that's the... right. Yeah, okay, okay. yeah. We just call them kernels. Sure. They're also known as berries. Yeah, oh, okay. so the wheat berries. And okay. so our our aim here is to get just the wheat berry. Right. Um, and and then if it has a little bit of chaff in it, maybe you know a couple hulls in it per per thousand or something like that, it's still fine for milling. And we can we can mill that just just like that. And that's uh, that's fairly standard. If we sell it as as kernels uh, or berries, uh, we will process it through another machine called a, a gravity table, which actually, which is very intriguing. It's it's quite an art art to run, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. It it blows. It has a, a screen, a horizontal screen at a slight tilt, and it has fans underneath which blow up through the screen, and then you trickle the grain at one corner. At the same time, it's it's vibrating back and forth. And it actually builds a fluidized bed of grain and air that is suspended over the screen. It's very fun. Hmm. And, and the heavy grain will, will move upwards along the, along the screen and, and through some, some channels that you can control the openings for. And the light grain, actually, it's just, <laughs> it's California, it's just like surfing. <laughs> the, the light material goes up on top of this fluidized bed and surfs over the top of them and goes downhill. Huh. And and so you're able to separate the wheat berries on the basis of specific gravity, uh, and that means that you can get all the really good ones uh, huh. at one end, and all the other stuff you can feed to the chickens, or or run through a gain or whatever you need to do. So that's a way of getting very pure um, wheat berries uh, that you can then uh, eat or or just sell as as wheat berries per se. It's it's really it's really nice. You can also mill it too, of course. So one bag of wheat berries or f- a package of flour is how many acre, how many uh, square feet of land? I guess if we had to visualize. Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, Thirty bushels an acre. A bushel is sixty pounds, so that's eighteen hundred pounds an acre. And an acre is what forty-three thousand square feet. I can't do the math in my head, but you probably can. I'm going to jump in because on the fly, I wasn't able to do the math, but it comes out to 121 square feet for a 5-pound bag of flour. So visualize a large room full of grains. That is one bag of flour. So it it takes about 4 months for the whole harvest for spring, like March to August, something like that? Uh, At least that, yeah. Yeah, that's about right. And and then uh, we do the processing after that. So what's the difference between a hard winter wheat? Is there a soft winter wheat, or am I mistaken? Yes, there, there are different types of wheat, and they've all been bred for different purposes. We have been growing two, uh, well, three primarily. A hard red spring wheat, which is the most common bred wheat that's grown across the prairies, both in the U.S. and Canada. So most of your pan breads, that is the breads that you buy in a, in a supermarket, would be of a hard red spring uh, variety, and the the um, they've been bred to be high yielding, obviously, but also high in gluten, so that it captures the carbon dioxide during the um, bread making process and can rise high, so you don't get bricks. Oh. <laughs> um, and 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 in and in Canada, we spent generations uh, perfecting our our standardization and our blending capacity, so that. Um, you know, Canadian grain is known to be very not just high quality, but very consistent. And we and we've done that because all our grain, our major grain area is a thousand kilometers from from the ocean, from from the seaports where we have to ship it. So we spend a lot of time getting high quality quality grain. So that's a hard red spring wheat. There's also a hard red winter wheat, 
and it's and the reason they're called hard red is that <laughs> they look red, uh, and they've been been bred with that red uh, color uh, consistently. And uh, they're hard, which means if you bite them, they they crunch, and and it takes a lot of oomph to uh, a lot of horsepower to to grind them to mill them. But uh-huh. it, but they're the best milling wheat for bread. Huh. So the hard red winter is a um, is a type of wheat that you actually plant before the winter. So it's it, you here we plant it in September or October, mm-hmm. and then it it sprouts and it grows about three or four inches high. And then goes into a semi-dormant stage for the winter, gets covered with snow or you know whatever the winter brings. And so right now when I look out, I can see the rows of of uh, hard red winter wheat that we planted last year, and it's <laughs> it's taken a beating in in the winter. Yeah. But the growing point, the growing tip, and the and the tillers, you know, it sends out little side branches. Mm-hmm. They all have their growing points intact. So now that the weather is starting to turn, they will grow and they'll get a good jump. And the beauty of that is that you can uh, outgrow the weeds in the springtime with a winter wheat much better than you can with the spring. But it's it's like magic. I mean, it, it just stays green over the winter and then um, and then jumps in the spring. They tend to be higher yielding than the spring wheat, mm-hmm. um, but they're probably not quite so high protein and not quite so high gluten levels huh. as the others. For the winter, when do you harvest that? A little bit earlier, and that's one of the advantages of it uh, for us because, <laughs> as you can imagine, uh, when September comes, sometimes rains come every day, <laughs> yeah. constantly as of September. So if you don't have your harvest done by the end of August, you're toast right. in some years. So, so uh, winter weeks have the advantage, and, and thanks for bringing that up, is that they mature probably two weeks earlier uh-huh. than the spring varieties. Uh-huh. And um, we can, so we can get them beginning of August, mid-August, and we can be pretty sure that's when the best weather is. So it makes harvest that much more certain. Are there any problems with cross-pollination because you're growing spring and winter at the same time? It's a good question. No, they, they're all self-pollinating. In fact, you can oh. grow diff- That's the beauty of, of wheat. You can grow them side by side by side. You can go all sorts oh. of different varieties, and we do that as trials. We're, all, we're always experimenting here. So within the field, we will set out a you know ten foot by ten foot square patch, and grow a new variety that we haven't seen before, or a couple of heritage varieties, you know, just to try them out and see how they work on a field basis. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's really nice because you can just as long as you stake them out and know which is which and label them, you're you're good to go. And that's the beauty of it. Just just to finish, so the the other type that we grow is a soft white spring wheat, um, and that's. Uh, lower in, in protein and lower in gluten, so it, it uh, you can use it as an additive to bread, but it's not the main the main uh, flour for bread. It's much better for pastry and for cookies and and um, pancakes, that sort of thing, and muffins. Uh, beautiful flavor uh, and higher tends to be higher yielding. And again, they're white. The kernels are white. The berries are white, and they're much softer. So if you chew them, it's Got not not quite so much of a crunch. Much easier to mill, uh, and makes a lovely fluffy fluffy flour. How do you get your seeds from season to season? We keep our own primarily, uh, partly because we have um, because we've been doing it for a couple of years. We have some unusual uh, varieties, and the other thing is it's really <laughs> because the distances are so great, uh, and no one else is growing grain around close to us. It's very expensive to buy seed. In fact, the transportation usually costs about as much as the seed. 
So we try and keep all our own. There, there are times when we have restocked, replenished our, our seed stock with, with new stuff as well, and we don't have a problem doing that. But it, it's you know, part of our philosophy is we're trying to be a you know, self-sustaining farm, and we try and share, share the seeds that we have that we think other people can use as well. There's, there's a variety that we imported from Washington State University at Mount Vernon, which has been hugely beneficial to us. It's called the Skagit 1109, which is a, um, a, a wheat that they bred there, they selected there. Uh, they have a wonderful breeding program there, Steve Jones and, and uh, Steve Lyon. Um, been hugely helpful. So we imported it officially, you know, with all the, the crop inspection and the seed inspection and then the seed inspection on this side of the border. And we've been saving our seed for that and sharing it to other farmers here because it works really well on the wet side of the Cascades. And that's what they were mm. breeding it for. And it's a really good bread wheat too. So that sort of thing, you, you just can't get it anywhere else unless you can right. import it again, which is a huge hassle. So we just keep our own seed and, um, and share it and have other people grow it. So I'm going to ask a really stupid question. When you have the grain, how do you get the seed? Or is the seed the wheat berry? I'm a little, I'm not actually sure how. It's the same. Yeah, no, that's a good question because different grains are, are different. The beauty of wheat is that when you harvest it and you, and you put it through the combine harvester and, and you know, thresh it, it's, it's as if the, the, everything else falls off and the kernel falls free. And, and the kernel or berry, and we use the term interchangeably, is is there just for your use so if you were to take us and, and we do this all the time uh during the season just to test the test the grain if you take us a, a spike or the head of the grain with all of its kernels attached to all the all the chaff and all of the 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 hull of the of the grain and if you pick it and it's and the kernels have matured properly and you just put it between your two hands and rub your hands together as if you know as if in glee say oh goody 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 and just rub your hands together and then open okay. up Take one off and just give it a blow, and most of the chaff and and junk that you don't want will blow off. And there'll be right. some kernels that'll have, still have the hulls attached. If you take your uh-huh. thumb then and press into your palm and and squeeze it almost as hard as you can and, and mush the kernels around. And for one head, you might get about 50, 50 berries, fifty wheat berries or so. If if you just mush them between your thumb and your and the palm of your opposite hand, most of those hulls will come off. And then if you give it another little blow, poof, <laughs> they will blow off. And then you can toss it in your mouth and you can eat it. And and hmm. and when you eat it, you're often testing how dry it is, if it's ready for oh. harvest or not. And also what it what it tastes like. And the other thing you get is is how much gluten is in it. And this is the way the breed old breeders used to do it too. Is they they just used to chew chew a handful and you end up um, your the amylase from your saliva um, um, takes the takes the starch, and and you process that in your, in your saliva. And what you're left with is the, is the gluten, and you end up with a little paste, gluten paste. And the the size of that and the and the strength of that gives you a very good sense of of what kind of bread the the uh, or, you know how, just how much the bread will rise with that particular wheat. Huh. So that's, that's literally what the plant breeders used to do. They used to go, <laughs> go down their different lines and just take a mouthful or you know, ha- a little handful like that and chew it. And if they got lots right. of gluten, they had a pretty good sense that this was going to be a good bread maker. And indeed, that's, that's still, still the case. When you get the wheat berries, you have the choice of saving it for future plantings or selling it? Is that That's right. Correct? Yeah. So, so those berries are the seeds. They're also what you eat. So if right. you were to put if you were to put those um, 
uh, and just grind them up, you would end up what we would call whole grain flour. Right. So everything, and that kernel, each kernel has a, a coat attached to it, which is called the bran. And, and, and it has the inside starchy part, which is called the endosperm. And then it has what, what people know, commonly known as wheat germ, which is where the little embryo would start if you were to plant that. And right. what commercially is done usually is that, is that they take little, they knock off the germ and then they, and then they strip off the, uh, the bran and they're left just with the endosperm which is the starchy part. And that's what most white flour is made out of, is just that starchy part. So, yeah. and then in the, in the, in, in, in the United States, uh, whole wheat flour is commonly made by taking that white flour and then adding back in some of the bran to, to, yeah. and, and sometimes coloring it to make it look, <laughs> to make it look brown. Whereas, whereas ours, that's not our flour at all. What ours is, is you take that, uh, those berries, those kernels, and you don't add anything, you don't take anything out, you just grind them up. And that means that you're in your flour, you get the, all the endosperm that you're giving your white bread, all the starchy part. You'd also get all of the bran, um, which is great for, for fiber. You also get the vitamins and the, the uh, vital nutrients from the wheat germ in your flour as well. So all of it is just the whole grain, just mushed up. That's what we mm. call whole grain flour. And that's what we do all the time. Now, the, the beauty of that, of course, is it's hugely nutritious. It's very nutritious. Um, and the, the downside, of course, though, is that it can go rancid because you've got the, if you keep it in room temperature for a long time, because you have the oils and the, um, and the vitamins from the wheat germ uh, spread throughout the, the flour. So we, we advise our CSA members and, and others if they get flour from us in the freaking, <laughs> usually it goes pretty quickly because they use it and they taste so good. But if you're going to keep it for a while, you should keep it in the fridge or freezer, uh, keep it cool and dry. So we're, we're huge, and I, I don't think there's any question that the nutritional benefits of whole grain flour are well known uh, on both sides of our border. It, it's not very common for, for people to, to be able to purchase whole grain flour. And yeah. it, it, it is a, a special, specialized product. But people shouldn't be fooled because whole grain flour is not the same as whole wheat flour. Whole wheat flour, right. we turn our nose up and say, well, <laughs> who knows what's yeah. in it really? So I want to ask about the, one of my second most favorite things is oatmeal. When we go to the store, we usually see these flat oatmeal. And there's three varieties I think people are familiar with. Can you kind of tell us what oatmeal is? Yeah, you have you have rolled oats. You generally have uh, old fashioned rolled oats, and then you have a, a quick rolled oats, eh? Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, that's that's a a good question. Generally, oats are different from wheat, and this is why your your question about uh, the covering coming off of of wheat was so good. Because in oats, most traditional oats have a very uh, tightly adhering hull, so. If you were to take a handful of oats, as I described before, or um, sorry, a panicle or a spikelet of, of uh, oats, and and thresh it in your hands, or as described before, and blow on off the chaff, you would end up with oats and the hulls. And if you put that in the mouth, it would be quite disagreeable, because you you would get some of the some of the lovely tasting oats, but you'd also get a big mouthful of of the hulls, which are tasteless and have, have the consistency of sawdust. Um, <laughs> it just wouldn't be very nice. <laughs> So, so what they do commercially 
is they strip off that hull and um, with a computerized uh, controlled, careful controlled machine that's very consistent, and you have you start out with really, really consistent oats. So you strip off the hull, much as you do to get to get white rice from brown rice. Same sort of sort of idea. You're just stripping off the hull, and then you, you end up with the oat seed, or I guess you call it a kernel or the oat berry, also commonly known as the groat, G-R-O-A-T. And and then you can you can eat that just as it is. Or you can uh, chop that up very finely. That's that, hence you get the steel cut uh, oat. So it's not rolled. It's it's um, Suzuki took a knife and just chopped it in three or four places to to get the steel cut oat. And then to roll it though, uh, usually commercially they lightly steam it and and put it through rollers and just and just uh, squeeze it uh, between two hard rollers just to flatten it and if it if it's flattened and it comes out in one the groat comes in one flake i guess flaking would be the other way it's sold flaked or rolled it become considered the same if it's in one complete flake that would be an old-fashioned uh type and if it um if it's chopped up and it's smaller than that then that would be your um your quick um now our oats are, are different, and 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 you can uh, uh, you can find them, but they're rare. Our oats are a different variety, and they were developed in Canada. And I know that there are also similar varieties in the United States, but the one we grow was developed uh, with by Crossing uh, starting in 1997, and then they applied for licensing in 2005 of a of a oat that is hullless. It's not that it's hullless during its life. It's just that when you harvest it, it it magically loses the hull, so it's not so tightly adhered to the groat. Um, so when you harvest it, you end up with just a groat. And oh. the, the the plant breeding challenge at the time was to get rid of that hull at harvest, but also get rid of some very small hairs that would grow on the um, on the groat as a, almost as a substitute for the um, for the hull. So traditionally, there was there was that problem that you'd you'd end up with a groat, but with a bunch of hairs around it, and that wasn't very appetizing yeah. either. So they yeah. spent 15 years figuring it out in uh, in in Ottawa. Um, Vern Burroughs was a plant breeder, and he, he actually named the variety after another uh, uh, public servant in, in working in Saskatchewan. Um, and they came up with a variety called AC Gale, named after the chap's name was David Gale. And so when you harvest it, it's uh, magically just the oat groat. And if you clean it very carefully so that you get rid of all the residual kernels that have uh, holes attached, then you end up with just the groats. And that we don't have to steam. We don't have to do anything. We can just put it through a roller here on the farm, and you end up with old-fashioned rolled oats. Or if you crimp it lightly, so just you know, don't flatten it out really flat so it's a flake, uh, but just give it a, <laughs> a bit of a nudge through the, through the rollers, then we end up with what we call uh, steel crimped oats, and that's similar in texture to the steel cut oat. But the difference, of course, with these oats and uh, the commercial oats is I, I, I liken the difference between uh, instant coffee and and uh, and real coffee. It's the flavor is just spectacular uh, with, with the whole result because nothing's been done to it, right? There's been no stripping off the hull. There's been no steaming. No nothing. It's just from the field cleaned through the rollers onto your 
in your bowl. <laughs> With that, how what's the growing season for the oats? Is it four months like the other grains? The growing season? Yes, it's ve- it's very similar. It's a it's a spring uh, a spring crop, and it it grows quite vigorously and it's quite competitive against weeds. So if there's anything that people want to grow in their garden just to get a, a little bit of a crop to have a look, a hollow oat would be a very fun one to do. And it's, and it's fairly easy to thrash too. So what is rye? Is that just another grain? Rye is another uh, another type of grain that uh-huh. is um, very robust and very resilient, very tough. It was traditionally the, the crop that would be grown in less fertile soil just because it could grow in conditions that wheat and uh, wheat and oats couldn't. And rye bread is known in, in some of those uh, countries, you know, in, in uh, say, Romania, Bulgaria, uh, east, uh, a large part of Eastern Eastern Europe that had a tougher tougher climate than some of the uh, nicer wheat-growing areas. They still grow wheat there too, but the rye would be. In fact, there's some supposition that the... Um, uh, that the witch trials in <laughs> I should cut, cut back to that for a minute in um, uh, in Salem, Massachusetts, when they had the witch trials, there was there a couple papers that I was reading recently came out in the seventies where they believe that one of the diseases of rye ergot, which isn't very common, but you can get during wet years, it's just a, a fungus that grows on the rye, was infecting some of the crops grown around in Massachusetts. And it was the people who lived in the lower areas uh, where this was grown that tended to have problems with hallucinations and and similar health problems that were attributed to to witchcraft. And they were wondering if if they were, they were proposing that maybe this was the, the cause of some of the uh, hallucinations at at the time, and that the people who who lived in the up, uplands and and ate wheat in their for their bread or had bread made out of wheat. I uh, didn't have the same problems. Uh, <laughs> it, interesting uh, hypothesis, I, and I'm sure you could test it out, but probably not with people. <laughs> yeah. So no, it, it, it's a it's a lovely crop to to grow. Uh, the problem with it here and in, in many places, it grows very tall traditionally. So if you get a, a rainstorm in late June or early July, it will take a whole crop and just lay it flat on the ground. Oh. And and you, you you know might have been counting on this fantastic crop, and then suddenly it's all just lying on the ground. It, you can it will still mature because uh, the stalks haven't broken; they've bent, and they can still translocate material up and down. Uh, but it just makes harvest really challenging, and you lose you lose a lot. Uh, some of it will rot on the ground, uh, but but most of it you'll be able to get up if you have a dry year. So there's there's been an effort to try and uh, grow or try and breed rye that's a bit lower, and we've We've been experimenting with with a variety um, of that too in the last couple of years because rye is a is a lovely. It's much stronger flavored than than the other grains, but it is a it does have a beautiful beautiful flavor. Uh, what about barley? Barley is a spring crop as well, and we've grown a little bit of of hullless barley. And again, there are different types of barley. Um, some can be grown for strictly for malting for for making beer. So you have a whole list of a malting. Um, malting varieties, and then they have others that are hullless, which you can use for for baking. Barley can make a lo- lovely uh, lovely bread, uh, and also you know people know what I think pearl barley for soups. Uh, are there any uh, future projects you have in the pipeline? 
Well, we're working on this variety of, of rye that's a short variety, and we're hoping hoping to uh, keep that going. I should have mentioned, too, by the way, that rye is used a lot for distilling, of course. All, all grains mm-hmm. can be used for, for making uh, booze of, of different kinds. <laughs> Another project we've been having going on for, and will continue on, we've been going on for about five years, is uh, a heritage variety called the Marquis, which, is, which was bred... Uh, just over 100 years ago, so 1910, 1911. And it's kind of an interesting story for us because uh, one of the original research stations in Canada was set up in Agassiz here in British Columbia, outside Vancouver. And Marquis Wheat, just after they rediscovered um, Mendelian genetics, they started applying it to wheat to try and increase the uh, yields of, of wheat. And so some of the original crosses were made in Agassiz at the research station here. So five... Well, I guess it's more than that. It's like eight years ago now. We we um, sent to the gene bank in um, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and got 80 uh, wheat berries of this uh, 100-year-old ancient, oh, I shouldn't call it ancient, 100-year-old uh, wheat. And we've been growing it out ever since and multiplying up the seed. And last year was the first year we actually had an, an acre of grain to work with. So we could, we could combine it and, uh, and st- start adding it to our CSA. Another uh, little project that we've been working on with the University of Manitoba is participatory plant breeding project. So f- what they did is they made crosses of marquee, the old wheat, with some modern varieties to try and add some of the rust resistance to the cross. And then they've been sending it out to farmers across the country who are interested in doing this work. And they grow small pots of it. And then the farmers themselves select these the heads that they think are the most vigorous or the most desirable for their for their um, uh, setup at the farm level, and then we've been saving each one of us have been saving the the best heads and re-threshing them every year and replanting them, and so effectively the the farmers themselves select the varieties for their particular areas. Um, so that's something we've been keeping on too. We now have a variety that is effectively. Uh, unique it doesn't exist uh, anywhere else because of the selection pressure that we apply at each at the farm level. So that's been a lot of fun. But but as ever, you know, everything we do on the farm is community focused and community supported. So <laughs> it, it, with a small community, people help us during harvest time. Uh, they help keep the, they have the expertise to help keep the equipment going. And they help baling and, and moving straw bales, you know. So it's 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 kind of an old, I don't call it old fashioned, but it's it's using some of the um, some of the same traditions that that have existed for generations of, of farmers, and we're trying to trying to keep them up just in the in the modern context. And that's that's partly what makes this farming so uh, uh, so rewarding for so many people. And uh, what products do you sell at the farmers market? Ooh, our colleague Yoshi Sugiyama and his two sons, Sai and Aya, started out being members of our community-supported agriculture group, but now grow grow some grains and vegetables here on the, on the farm. They attend, or the two, two sons attend a Japanese school in Vancouver on, on Saturdays. So Yoshi was going into Vancouver, and it occurred to him that it just made sense to uh, make double use of the trip and investigated setting up at the two, two farmer's markets in, in Vancouver. So we've been selling, uh, he's been selling rather, kernels of uh, wheat and some uh, on oats 
and rye and barley, and flour of the same too, most of which we, we mill here on the on the farm. And his a uh, little bit of, of the, uh, vegetables as well. He has some um, garlic and some potatoes, uh, delicious heritage potatoes. And um, uh, rolled oats has been our specialty recently from a Hollis oat variety called AC Gale. And he's been um, doing really well with that, as well as mixing it with some other things like rolled oats and rolled rye and barley and uh, various other grains too, just to give people a, a variety. And it's, it's been it's been really lovely making the direct contact with uh, with people who eat the grains. Nice. So if they if people want to learn more about you, uh, what's your website? It's Cedar Isle Farm. That's C E D A R. Cedar is in the tree, and then Isle I S L E. Not island, but Isle, I-S-L-E, and then farm, F-A-R-M, dot C-A. So cedarlfarm, dot C-A. Yeah, well, thank you so much for your time. Well, I appreciate yours. And look, look forward to speaking with you. And next, when you're in Vancouver, give us a shout, and, and look forward to seeing you.